Alyssa, and we're live. John, or Mike, with Paranormal Dash Spirits. John says, the place where we come to get our booze on, because he always talks about the booze. He always gives the spill on the oh, booze. Oh, I have lines now? Yes. Oh, no, don't bitch. Yes. Hey. The place where we come to get our booze on. Can you say that? I'm going to flub this. Oh, let's practice it. Okay. Okay. And we're live. With Paranormal Dash Spirits. The place where we come to get our blues on. <laughs> See? <laughs> blues. Okay, do it again. And we're live. With Paranormal Dash Spirits. The place where we come to get our booze on. We talk about the booze. The things that go bump in the night. And I get to do that with all my booze. I'm Mike Black. My wife, Alyssa Black. Hello. My best friend, John Burkett. Hello. And tonight, we've got a story about Teresita Bassa. Teresita Bassa came back and solved her own murder, believe it or not. But before we do that, we're going to tell you about all the places that you can go to to, uh, to see us. So if you're listening to this on a podcast, you can go to YouTube and look us up at 3B Paranormal Spirits. Or you can go to Instagram, TikTok, or Twitter. And it's all the same name on each one of those. It's Paranormal underscore D-A-S-H underscore Spirits. And then we've got our website. Our website is paranormal-spirits.com. And that's kind of like a landing page. If you can't remember where to go on the uh, for the other sites, you can go there. And you get to everything that we post, even to our Facebook page, which is Booze with Benefits. And we've got um, uh, Boozy's Boutique, where we have all of our swag. We have caps and Boozy's Koozies. And dad caps and trucker caps and beanies. I do love this. <laughs> it's kind of cool, isn't it? It is cool. So this show is about spirits, and we start off every night with spirits uh, that we record. And tonight we are drinking tequila blanco. John, tell us about our tequila tonight. What did you just say? We get we get spirit. We get to drink that we record. <clears throat> Every night that we record, oh. we start off with spirits. You said we start off with spirits that we record. And I'm like, what are we recording? Every night that we record. You weren't listening. You need to pay attention if you're going to be part of this. I did There's pay your attention. Tequila. When you go back to listen, okay. listen. Okay, I'll listen when I go back <clears throat> to listen. Every night we drink spirits that we record. That's what you said. Ooh, this smells good. That was very delayed. But. This is G4. This has like kind a of a... Riding in a G6. Okay. Like that? Well, so the... I, Go ahead and tell us about it. Well, that. I didn't know until I read the back of the bottle why it's called G4. Now I understand. Why is it, it called G4? You say it. We are the fourth generation. Hey, hey, Quattro. But <laughs> we are the fourth generation of tequila producers. Generation 4, G4. Since 1937. Personally supervised each step, starting with selection of our own agave, and taking thorough care in the process to ensure the maximum quality. Produced and bottled by Distilleria El Pandillo. Terra Jesus Maria Las Palmas. Uh-huh. Anyway. Yada, yada, Jalisco. <laughs> this does come highly recommended, but... Hecho in Mexico. Okay. So the very first thing that I get 
on the nose. Agave. No, I smell jalapenos. Oh. I could see how you think smell that. I, I get jalapenos from that. It smells good. It smells pretty good pretty dang good. It does. Alrighty. Cilantro. 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 I like it. That's good. It's fruity. But in a good way, like What's well, warm? Woo. Okay, not too many sharp. scorpion stings. No, oh, it's smooth. So. It's smooth. It's got a nice mouthfeel. It's it got plenty of legs the, on it. Very agave for Let me give you the tasting notes. Because <laughs> it's going to be hilarious compared to what I think it tastes like. Spicy, peppery. Okay, I got that. And delicious. Uh, that's it. That's it? <laughs> that's it. Wow. <laughs> no BS flowery language. About- oh, I... I taste unicorn tears and and rainbows no, and it nothing like, like that. It tastes like agave and black pepper to me. Tastes like a G6? Oh, it says the purest expression of Blue Weber agave. Our Blanco is authentic and approachable with a delicate minerality. I can taste that a little yep. bit. And a gentle aroma derived from agave and spring water from our own farm. Collected rainwater. Oh, wow. And our grandfather's yeast. Ooh. Oh my god. <laughs> Nasty. <laughs> so These bad. are the only ingredients in G4. Your granddaddy's yeast. Clear, crisp flavors and a silky texture make it a hit with tequila lovers across the board. Man, that's that's really good tequila. I, sprinkling I like glitter. That is good. And that's the Blanco, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. And what is our price point, gentlemen? You don't remember, do you? I don't remember. Do you remember? It's forty-five dollars. Oh it's wow, not bad. not bad for the quality of tequila mm-hmm. that is. That's really good tequila for forty-five bucks. Now, mm, there's something. It's real bright. In there. Yeah, like there it. is. Mm. It's n- I, okay. So that's what it's supposed to taste like. It's not my. It's not the best it. as far as I'm concerned, but it's really, really good. I kind of taste that agave. Who? Who's Pepper. your favorite so far? Since we we've done quite a few different tequilas and for a blanco or a plato or whatever you want to call I it. I like Don Julio Blanco a lot. No doubt. And uh I like this one a lot too. Mi- That's really good. Mijenta. Mijenta was good. Mijenta. Mijenta. I Mijenta all the way, man. For a for a Blanco. Don Julio was right up there for a long time. And that Mijenta came along and just ousted Don Julio. This has something uh, a little different note. Yeah, it is. I like it. It's almost. It's very good. It's almost like minty gum. Is that weird? See, I'm getting jalapenos. Not Not jalapenos. Not the heat, but the flavor. That fresh green. There's a green quality to that, Mm -hmm. but I'm not getting jalapeno. I'm getting like spearmint gum. Or Serato. Or hmm. habanero. Or Thai bird chilies. I get... Banana peppers. Pe- <laughs> banana peppers. But what if it's just like peppercorn? Banana split. Well, yeah. That says spice, peppery, spicy, peppery, mm-hmm. and delicious. But y'all went to pepper as in an actual pepper as opposed no, to peppercorn. I mean, I get the peppery. Mm-hmm. To me, it tastes like, like, uh, the, like agave and black pepper <clears throat> with a little bit of something I can't nail down that makes it feel very bright and refreshing Mm -hmm. i like that all right okay we don't want to get mary mad at us again so (laughs) (laughs) 
Teresita <laughs> yeah, Make sure I put chapters in here so people can skip past the booze in case they don't want to hear it. I didn't realize that I know this story. Oh, this story is crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. I saw this on something. We probably saw it on, apparently it was on Unsolved Mysteries. It, dude, that it's been on like been a bazillion different I, things. Yeah, with Robert Stack. I loved Unsolved Mysteries. So. His voice was great. Teresita Bassa. She was born in Dumaguete, Philippines to Pedro Bassa and Socorro Bassa. She was a very gifted and talented child and capable in anything she wanted to do, but was extremely gifted in music. Teresita's family was probably one of the wealthiest at that time in the Philippines. So her dad was a politician. And I don't know what he did in government, but he was in the the government there in the Philippines. And so they had lots of money, and he bought her a Steinway from Manila and had it imported into the Philippines. Manila is the Philippines. Yeah. It's the capital of the Philippines. Well, so (laughs) from Manila to Dumaguete, Philippines, wherever that is, I'm sure there's more than just one island of the Philippines. Oh, there's thousands. Right, exactly. So anyway, uh, had it imported in uh, from Manila. And she would sit at this piano and play for hours, and she was learning classical music. Uh, amazingly talented at it. And when she wasn't studying classical music, she would listen to the popular music of the time. Now, this was played on a Victrola. You know what a Victrola is? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's how long ago that, yeah, the old crank and the, you had the little, the big needle that you put down there. So she would listen to the popular music uh, on the Victrola at the time. And eventually, she headed off to Europe to study music. And she met this famous Russian composer, Alexander Cherepinin. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Like, like you know him, right? You and he, John and Alexander Cherepinin. Cherepin. Seems like there's Cherpin. an extra syllable in there. Yeah, there is. There's, extra, there's actually extra consonants in that. I think uh, the way John said that, he sounded like he hung out with him in high school or something. Old Alex. (laughs) Old Alex, yeah. First name basis. Yeah, we used to hang out all the time. Okay. So anyway, Alex Cherpin was extremely impressed with Teresita, and he became her mentor. Well, Cherpin and his wife taught at DePaul University in Chicago. So they said, hey... If you ever get to Chicago, come visit us, you know, hang out with us, and we'll introduce you to everybody, blah, blah, blah. So. Oh, you're right. It is missing a vowel. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Terrepin and Terrepin. Exactly. (laughs) I hope you herniated your tongue as well. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So in the summer of 57, she was 28 years old, and she flew to Indiana and enrolled in the Foreign Exchange Visitors Program in the Indiana University. And during her time there, she made a lot of friends. Uh, She did well academically, good grades. But she ended up not finishing her credits completely, and she was just a handful away from getting her uh, degree for her her graduate degree. Now, she relocated, and nobody really says why uh, she relocated to Washington, D.C., but... Uh, she took the job there as a typist with a family friend 
who was working in government. Now, I assume that this was a connection with her father, who was a, a in the government in the Philippines. And so she did this typing job for a while, studying music. And while she was working and studying in Washington, D.C., she attended a diplomatic reception. And this is where she meets a good Irish boy, Edward O'Meara. Now, he was a Chicago lobbyist, and he took an immediate liking to Teresita. And after their first meeting, they started dating, spending a lot of time together. But just as the relationship is kind of sparking off and, you know, they're really kind of hitting it off with each other, her visa runs out. So she has to go home. So Teresita flies back to the Philippines, and she had to go back to the Philippines before she could actually apply for uh, her citizenship. Yeah, you got to go after your visa. You got to go back. After your visa runs out, yeah. So she she goes home to mom and dad. Well, Edward, um, this lobbyist in, uh, from Chicago, he came to visit Teresita quite a bit in the Philippines. Now, remember her dad was in government, and he found out some stuff about Edward. <laughs> um, so evidently, Edward got busted downtown in the red light district, drunk and nude, <laughs> the teenage prostitute oh, cute. in the red light district nope so um, oh, in the philippines or in chi town it says uh philippines where she was living no no not in chi town he was drunk in public and nude so he got naked with a teenage prostitute naked. i hear naked. it's really hot there I- <laughs> It That's is. I mean, like what we the, aver- for the, the last average month, temp is it's crazy. That way all year. So I could understand wanting to take your clothes off, especially if you've been drinking. Yeah, you have you been know. sweating it out. Right, exactly. So that ended it with Teresa and Edward's relationship. Irishman not used to that kind of. Age. That's right. So anyway, old Pedro, he sent Edward packing, and of course, Teresita, bless her heart, she was devastated. You know, this guy was just the man of her dreams, and. And here he is. He just crushed her. So she doesn't want to go back to the U.S. Probably at this point. Probably lucked out because this time period, this would have been the, uh, oh, what was that? the Marcos regime. He could have ended up in a prison, disappeared yeah. in the Philippines. The average temp is between 74 and 93 degrees Fahrenheit. It is rarely below 71 and rarely above 96. Yeah, that's the average oh, temp. Oh, so it's better than here. <laughs> rarely above 96. However, humidity averages at 82% yeah. year-round. No, thank you. So, <laughs> so anyway, old Edward, he gets, balls. No. <laughs> Edward gets, <laughs> Edward gets uh, sent packing. He has to go home and Teresita, of course, does not follow. She doesn't want anything to do with the U S right now, you know, uh, because she's heartbroken. She's devastated. She's shattered. So she goes to teaching at Silliman university and she's trying to find her happiness in music in the Philippines, but it just doesn't work out for her. And no matter how hard she tried, she really couldn't be comfortable there. And so she decided, hey, I'm going back to the the U.S. Her visa was finally approved, and Teresita uh, returned to the United States. She was able to get an apartment on Mozart Street, no less, nice. in Chicago's northwest side, uh, which I thought that was kind of ironic, her being into music and getting a, a place on Mozart Street. But she decides she's going to complete her graduate studies at Indiana University. In the meantime, she would find more work as a typist. 
So she wanted to work as a musician and teach piano, but it didn't take her long to figure out that the uh, job market for musicians uh, was pretty tight. But you know uh, that that skill translates probably into the typist thing. It, I'm sure it does. You know, if you're talented at one, and the um, anyway, the the music industry was pretty fierce up there in Chicago. Uh, in the meantime, she enrolled as a student in respiratory therapy program at the Central YMCA Community College in September of 72. Yay, YMCA. Yeah, you got to do it every time you hear it, right? And in the late spring of 74, she graduated from that program, and she quickly found work as a respiratory therapist at Edgewater Hospital in Chicago. Now, working at Edgewater, this opened up all kinds of new doors to her and experiences and is she this before up. it was required for you to have a certification to be a respiratory therapist? Well, well you got your cert down at the YMCA. Oh. <laughs> at the YMCA Community College. Oh, okay. In September of 1972. I'm sorry, I that. It's fun to stay there. <laughs> you can hang out with all the boys. And become a respiratory therapist. <laughs> and get your and respiratory, and get, therapy, get your respiratory therapy license. <laughs> so... Anyway, so she's hanging out at Edgewater with her new buddies, and uh, she's got more money now because she's she's making the big bucks at the hospital, and she gets her a new apartment in September of 74. She moves into this new place in Pine Grove Apartments. Um, it was a new apartment building across from Lincoln Park, and she immediately, and not the group, but the place, Yeah. and she immediately began looking for a little small piano so she could give lessons and such anyway she makes friends with a hospital administrator um miss loeb and they ended up forming uh, some of her other friends there ended up forming a music group and they were called (laughs) (laughs) the mahogany five plus one nice so six why not just mahogany six because they're all men except for her? They were all Filipino except for the drummer who was a white guy. So uh, he was the plus mahogany one. five plus one white dude that hung plus, out with him. Yeah. Plus Ivory. Yeah, plus Ivory. Exactly. So she's loving Chicago and she's spending time with her band, her new friends. And um, What kind of music did they play? You know, I don't know. It's 1974? <laughs> I know that she had purchased a small organ, so possibly it could have been... Prog rock? Prog rock, jazz, who knows. Uh, I would assume that it would be something on the upper end because of the way that she... The the classical studies for music that she had done. So, anyway, she's, uh, she's there in Chicago. She's making it now. She's a respiratory therapist. And on the afternoon of February 21st, Tara City was preparing to leave the hospital after a long day of work. She's putting on her coat, getting ready to leave when Alan came into the room. Now, Alan is one of her new friends, and Tara City had mentioned to Alan that her television was not working. Uh, and some of the people overheard Alan saying, Hey, you know, I can come by tonight. I can take a look at it, and, you know, and I can see if I can fix it. He said, I'm, you know, I'm kind of handy. So they. Evidently, they lived down the same street. On Mozart Street. Um, or, yeah, I guess. and Or somewhere near that because they rode the same bus to and from work. So he said, hey, I can stop by and take a look at it. Uh, pretty handy at that kind of stuff. Um, she said, that's great. 
and they discussed the Mahogany 5 Plus One's upcoming show. Teresita said that she might be losing the drummer soon. And Alan said, oh, guess what? I can play the drums too. If you need somebody to sit in, I Wait, can do that. Then it would be the <laughs> Mahogany 5 Plus Ebony. Yeah. So Teresita or said. just Mahogany 6 now. <laughs> Teresita said, you know, you can buy a ticket and come see the show and see if you like our kind of music and if you really want to be a part of it. Alan said, I can't really do that. I don't have a lot of extra money. Um, so she said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll I'll buy you a ticket. I'll put it aside for you. You just show up, show up at the show, ask for the ticket, and they'll give it to you and you can come see us play. At will call. Huh? <laughs> yeah, at will ticket call. Ticket at will call. Right. <clears throat> We have this feeling it's jazz. I don't know why, but something tells me it's jazz. It, very likely, yeah. So, anyway, so Tara Cedas got this little book. She carried a little notepad she carries around with her, and she wrote herself a note, get tickets for A.S. So, and that'll come up later, and you'll realize the significance of it. But once she settled, settled in that night, that evening, uh, she called her friend, uh, and bandmate Dr. John Nabella. And this was a little after 7 Dr. p.m. John. Huh? Dr. Dr. John. John. <laughs> mm-hmm. And a little after 7, they were just chatting on the phone and they discussed the upcoming show. They talked about ticket sales, marketing, et cetera, et cetera. And she said that the other friend, Alan Showery, who the doctor knew, might be taking over for the, the drummer. So, anyway, Teresita excused herself from the phone call and told Dr. John that she had somebody at the door and he could hear the knocking at the door a little bit later she got another call uh it was her friend and co-worker ruth Loeb, and they chatted for a few minutes and teresa mentioned that she had company and needed to go well ruth heard a male in the background and you know kind of chatting and talking but teresa didn't give her a name before she ended the call and that was the last time that anyone would speak to teresa uh teresita bassa so a little after 8.30 p.m., so it was about 7 earlier now, it's 8.30, Catherine and Mario Nazi were cleaning up after dinner. They lived on the 15th floor in the Pine Grove Apartments. They were just cleaning up not long after uh, they had just turned the TV off, and they, they were getting ready to settle down for the night. And Mario smells smoke. And he's like, what is that? So they look around the apartment. They can't find anything on fire so mario opens the hallway and immediately he's overwhelmed with smoke it's like filling up the the hallway what floor are they on the 15th they open up the door the smoke is filling it up filling up uh the hallway so mario hollers to his wife says hey come on we got to get out of here they got there and mario starts beating on all the doors hey fire 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 um he had called the maintenance man to tell him, hey, you know, there's fire going on. The maintenance man called the fire department. He, he called the maintenance man before the fire department. That's weird. Uh, not weird. Because he can help people get out quickly. Oh, okay. Got to get no, out No, but quicker. why wouldn't you call the fire department first? First and foremost. 911. I'm not Mario. I don't know. That's what he's saying. I'm not posed with fire and smoke coming up on the 15th floor of an apartment that I, oh, I guess know if I'm going to be able to get out phones. of. The hell with you that. know? Yeah. Yeah, this is 1970. Pretty scary, you know, that 77. Yeah. So, anyway, any anything else? Just checking. <laughs> mm. 
Okay. Snarky. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. So Mario, uh, he sent his wife downstairs. He joined the maintenance man trying to alert everyone to get out. Okay. By now, the firefighters started making their way up into the building, probably because he called the maintenance man and he called the fire department earlier. And all these alarms are going off. <laughs> and uh, so the fire, the firemen tell them, get out of here, you know. And they had to crawl out on their hands and knees because the smoke was so thick. The firemen figure out that the smoke is coming from Teresita's apartment. They get the door open. They figure out, hey, not only is it coming from her apartment, it was coming from her bedroom. So they get in there, and there's still a, a small fire burning in the bedroom. They use their their axes to bust out the the windows and the door to her balcony, and smashed all the windows and balcony door in her bedroom, just to vent out the smoke. So when they get and then they get the fire put out. When they get the fire put out, they noticed that the fire was coming from a pile of clothes that were on top of a mattress off the bed. And beside the mattress, so somebody had lit these clothes on clothes and mattress on fire. They move the mattress out of the way to look underneath it, and this is when they find uh, the lifeless body of Teresita Bassa. They found her nude; her legs were splayed open. Uh, she had a butcher knife embedded all the way up to the handle in the middle of her chest. The apartment had been ransacked. They went through it. Um, things were scattered. Just the it was trashed, and so they the fire department determined this. Well, it must be you know a robbery, uh, sexual assault, and murder. And the fire had been set to de to destroy the evidence. And so the fire was so consuming that it had burnt Teresita burnt nearly all of her hair off. Um, it had burnt one side of her body and at first glance they thought well this looks like this person that was called the lipstick killer that had been active in um, Chicago on the north side but the problem with that was that the lipstick killer had been in prison for over a decade and so they thought well maybe we got a copycat killer so the police immediately were called in to investigate by the fire department and amidst all this chaos they found find a note on the bedside table get tickets for as and this would turn out to be basically the only clue that they had in the case on the morning of the 22nd an autopsy was performed on teresita's body at the morgue uh, by pathologist dr ty ann and while conducting this autopsy, the detective stood by observing. So a significant discovery was made uh, during the examination. Uh, despite the extensive charring of the skin on her neck, the doctor identified bruising on her throat and fractured larynx. Um, these findings indicated she had been actually been strangled prior to death. And the subsequent act of setting her on fire was just to, to cover that up. The, the stabbing of her too? Yeah. The bruising was detectable beneath the stabbing uh, is what killed her. Okay. The bruising was detectable beneath the charred skin due to the presence of pooled blood that gathered in the, the subcutaneous tissue. The, the what? Subcutaneous, subcutaneous tissue. Subcutaneous tissue. 
<clears throat> did she have petechial hemorrhaging? Did she have petechial hemorrhaging too? I, I don't know. Her eyes were probably bowled out considering she was on fire. Oh, yeah. But I, I didn't get to see the pictures from the autopsy. Okay. So the so the strangling didn't kill her. The, the knife... The knife actually killed her. Jo- yeah, it's not that easy to choke somebody to death. So they attempted it, but didn't quite make it. Correct. And the autopsy results led to the determination that the cause of death was actually the stab wound that lacerated her heart. Ooh. Um, Also, notably, the examination revealed that she had not been sexually assaulted. And she was actually a virgin. So, 40-year-old virgin. Ah. And these findings completely contra- contradicted the initial theory that the detectives had been developing since her arrival. It was clear that she had not been rather her body had been undressed and arranged to mimic sexual assault in an attempt. You're going to have to bleep those words out for YouTube, you know. No, I don't think. No, you don't. Not sexual assault. You can say that. You can't say I think the R word. say S-A. You did say the R word. Oh, did I? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well. I may bleep it out. I don't know. We'll see. In an attempt to mislead the investigation, the autopsy determined that there was no essay. <laughs> essay. So nothing to go on there. Um, so really, they didn't have anything to go on. And this was destined to be a cold case. Well, over the following months, the detectives meticulously investigated uh, Teresita's life contacting everyone in her address book and pursuing every lead they could find. Unfortunately, while some leads initially seemed promising, they all eventually fell apart during the interviews or polygraph exams. By spring, the leads had run dry and the pool of potential interviewees was dwindling. So in the aftermath of Teresita's murder, uh, life at Edgewater returned to a semblance of normalcy. Uh, All of her friends mourned uh, the loss of Teresita. And this is when a 28-year-old inhalation therapist named Remy Chua, who had limited interaction with Teresita, they were nodding acquaintances, so go down the hall and, how you doing? How you doing? Uh, suddenly developed an intense interest in her life. This sudden preoccupation manifested in an incident where Remy abruptly left the hospital's break room, seemingly frightened by something unseen, she later disclosed to her husband, uh, Dr. Jose Chua, that she had seen Teresita's apparition in the break room, silently gazing at her. Following this encounter, Remy's behavior shifted noticeably, becoming talkative and fixated on the aspect of Teresita's life, such as her interest in the piano and classical music. In the subsequent days, Remy's personality continued to change, and she engaged in conversations about subjects that intrigued Teresita. It was though she had become possessed or deeply influenced by Teresita's interests and persona. The sudden transformation raised eyebrows among Teresita's co-workers who observed the shift in Remy's behavior. It appeared that Remy had been somehow affected or connected to Teresita's spirit after the encounter. Um, Remy's uh, co-workers, they didn't really appreciate this, uh, this newfound interest in... Uh, Teresita, and they found felt that it was uh, disrespectful. So 
So she's called into the boss's office and called to the carpet, so to speak, which finally resulted in her being dismissed for gross insubordination. So I don't know if she went off on her boss or what, but that's what it sounds like. And um, so while... So it was unexpected termination. Uh, she goes home and she tells her husband what's going on. And that evening, Remy and her husband, uh, Dr. Jose Chua, they were discussing her sudden job loss. Remy dozed off in a chair and woke up a few minutes later. When she woke up, she stood up abruptly without any explanation. She proceeded to walk into the bedroom. And this was really strange. And the doctor called to her. He said, hey, hey. You know, and she didn't answer him. He was concerned about her. So he follows her into the bedroom. She is laying on the bed, eyes wide open, um, just staring at the ceiling. And he asked her, "Are you know, are you okay? And she responded in Tagalog, which was their, what? It's Tagalog. Tagalog? Yeah, and I learned that from the people that we used to work with. Tagalog. Tagalog. It's like Spanish. Okay. Like, to be fair, though, I would say Tagalog. Too. Oh, I know. That's how it's spelled. I well, just then, know that That's from the way the that I heard it on when I was listening about it was Tagalog. It's I, Tagalog. You sure you can't just say either one? Like, you might be able to. I just know that the Filipinos that we've worked with and the ones that I went to school with. They call it Tagalog? It's Tagalog. Tagalog. I call okay. it Tagalog. So it's their native language. Anyway. Uh, so she didn't use Tagalog around the house. They spoke in English. There are a lot of hard words in this story. Like that Russian dude's name. Like. Yeah, that's the <laughs> word. Remy, are you saying she, Remy I, didn't normally speak it or Teresita didn't normally speak it? They could speak it. They did not. They spoke English. Remy? Yes, Remy and Teresita and Dr. Jose Chua all spoke Tagalog. Okay. So she's, he's asking her, hey, are you okay? And suddenly she starts screaming. He killed me, Dr. Chua. He killed me. Alan Showery killed me. He killed me. He killed me. He killed me. Over and over and over she's screaming this to Jose. And this is freaking dr jose out and you know so he doesn't really know what to do and so he's trying to understand what's going on with his wife so he thinks well maybe you know she's had a nightmare you know this and so anyway she she snaps out of it now when she snaps out of it remy doesn't remember any of this she doesn't remember asking her husband jose for help um, she doesn't know what's just transpired. She doesn't understand any of it. And of course he's bewildered. And so, he, like I say, he tries to, he tries to rationalize it at first. Hey, you know, well, she's got a lot of stress going on at work and you know, she's got kicked out of work. And so he tries to blow it off at first. So the following day, uh, Remy is on the phone she hands the phone to Jose, and she says, Teresita wants to come back. She walks out of the room again, lays down on the bed, eyes wide open in like this trance state, and she starts speaking um, Tagalog. to 
Tagalog to Jose again, and she says, <clears throat> she said, why have then she's pissed, and she wants to know why Dr. Chua has not notified the police. He told her that he was a doctor and that he was a scientifically minded man and he was not going to go to the police without any tangible proof to back up the claim that Alan Showery was Teresita's murderer. Um, so then she starts telling him. <coughs> she starts telling him uh, that there were several unique pieces of jewelry that were stolen from her apartment <clears throat> one was a uh, pearl uh, ring yeah cocktail ring and a jade necklace that she had and then she gave phone numbers addresses and names of four different people that knew that she owned this jewelry. She said that Alan Showery had stolen this from her and he had given it to his girlfriend. Oh, she said that. She while said, in the trance. Remy while in the trance. That's what she said. She said, <laughs> did, did, this did, guy did, stole my jewelry. He gave it to his bitch girlfriend. Did the, the Jewels? Did they know Alan? I mean, these all these people work at, at Edgewater Hospital. They did not know each other. Um, so, so Remy Chua did not know Alan Showery's name at all prior to. She probably did because she worked in the hospital. But she would have known that Alan killed Teresita, and she wouldn't have known the. He was going to. Yeah, because Showery worked as a respiratory technician too. I think the jewelry, and he worked a different shift. Mm. They didn't work. So they they knew he who he was, but yeah, it was like they had in the train together if they worked different shifts. No, Remy worked a different shift. Oh, Remy worked. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So anyway, they gave. She said, "Here's the phone numbers. Here's the people who know the jewelry they stole. They'll be able to recognize it." Um, so. They don't know what to do. And finally, Jose and Remy concoct this story and they call the Evanston police. And they said, uh, we got a menacing phone call from Alan Showery and he threatened us. And so we just wanted to let you know. Because they can't tell them. My wife has been possessed by the spirit of a dead woman. <laughs> and she told me who killed her, and this is while her so jewelry here, is. So here you go, kook, you know. But so they can't do that. So, and they end up calling, they talk to Detective Floyd McKinney from Evanston Police. McKinney visited the Chua resident to conduct an interview. And um, <laughs> so, anyway, they gave him this BS story. And uh, so he's McKinney was unaware of the true circumstances, accepted his account, and relayed the information to the the Chicago authorities, and passed along the tip regarding Alan Chowry's potential involvement in the Bassa murder. As a result, wait, 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 wait. yeah. 
So what did they tell the cops? So they they the tell cops the cops he called that he called us. threatening us because we know that he or somehow they knew that he was, that he had killed Teresita. Oh, oh, okay. I so I now I understand. they're so connecting the Teresita Bassa thing to it. They concocted a story. Said he called and threatened us because he said he we knew that he had killed Teresa. Got it. Okay. Got it. And he's going to get us too. I'm tracking. Okay. okay. So um, he relays the detective McKinney relays the information to Chicago authorities. It gets to the detective, Detective uh, Statula from Chicago, and who was assigned to the initial investigation with uh, Teresita DePassa. So he calls the Chua's, sets up a meeting with them, and he goes to their house. And uh, so Statula is listening to this story, and he's like, it's just there's something not jiving. There's something not right about his story about the phone call, right? But I guess he figures since it, his her diary say get tickets for, for AS. AS and hear these people call about an Allen showery, they're probably like, okay, well let's see here. Ding ding ding. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, he he figures out there's some inconsistencies and in their reluctance in the responses. So he starts digging a little deeper, and he pressed for more details, and finally, uh, Jose. He said he leans in, leaned across the table, the, the coffee table there. He leans over to Statula and says, do you believe a person could be possessed? So Statula responds. He says, well, he said, I'm a detective, so I try to keep an open mind. So he revealed that Remy had communicated with Teresita Spirit, who identified Alan Showery as her murderer. The... Um, he tells him about the pearl cocktail ring and the jade pendant that both have been gifts from Teresita's mother. So when he asked Showery, when it, and when asked if Showery had sexually assaulted her, they said no, nothing had been said about that essay. So he <laughs> nothing had been said about that and that that did not happen. Which the initial report in the newspaper was oh, that, that she was found... And it appeared that she had been essayed and just to be clear, you, you can say that, but I thought so. But if you were you can get demonetized for saying Yeah, we're not monetized yet. Right, but you want to I understand that, right? But you I'm just that Yeah, I got you. (laughs) So she it it had not happened yet. But that was in the autopsy that was never released. It was in the autopsy, it was never released to the public. As far as the newspaper knew she it had happened to her and she had been burnt and she had been stabbed so they wouldn't so have that's a known detail that they had that's no a detail they have no way of knowing unless they killed her the chewas mm-hmm. did it unless the chewas so killed and her. maybe they did but in despite their wait you'll figure out they didn't do it um the uh anyway despite his initial skepticism um they started checking into this. Come to find out, Alan Showery was a former co-worker of Teresita and became a uh, a person of interest, especially when they, they made the connection of get tickets for A.S. So, anyway, um, 
Detective Statula. As a matter of factula. As a matter of factula. Detective Statula went in to Alan Showery's house and said, Hey, buddy, you know, we want to ask you some questions. You knew Teresita, so um, he said he seemed like a very uh, friendly guy, very sociable individual with charming demeanor. But he had a, a long criminal record and uh, for everything had been thrown out, I think, if I remember correctly. And so anyway, um, gets him to come down to the station. And on the way to the station, basically, Shaori says to him, he says, y'all think I had something to do with Teresita's death? Well, the, they didn't answer. They didn't say anything. They get in there to the station, and they start questioning him about what had happened. And he's saying, well, you know, I just barely knew her, blah, blah, blah. And um, so anyway, he denies everything. Never been to Teresita's apartment. Um, then they confront him with the fact that numerous people had seen him um, talking to Teresita about going to her apartment. And he said, oh, yeah, I was going to go there, but uh, I didn't go. To fix and, your TV, right? Yeah. So, um, anyway, he gets he, he tells the story he went there and then left because he didn't have the tools to fix her TV. And that he went home and his girlfriend wanted him to work on something in their apartment, some electrical thing. So the detectives call a girlfriend. The girlfriend's name is Yanka. Uh, Yanka. And well, you got you got the last name though. You got yeah. I ain't even trying the last name. Yanka. No, not with her sitting here. <laughs> not with Alyssa sitting right here. I'm not going to do it. So it's Yanka, who is having some electrical problems, right? So. The police get her and they say, hey, you know, he said he was going to work on her TV, but he came home to work on electrical problems in your house. And she said, wait a second, Alan can't fix anything uh, electrical. So I don't know. No, he didn't work on that. So she just threw him right under the bus. Um, they noticed that she was wearing a pearl ring, pearl ring, jade necklace. And they said, hey, do you mind coming down to the police station? You know, and she's like, no, can can we take your jewelry box too? And yeah. So oh, she they're goes, at his apartment. Yeah. So they go from the apartment to the police station with this, right? And um, anyway, she had, she had told the police that Alan had given her these in February, right after Teresita's murder, and told her the, that they were a belated Christmas gift. Mm-hmm. In February. In February. That's very way belated. That is a Valentine's gift. What did you just say? Early Valentine's gift. There you go. Belated Christmas. So anyway, um, more shit. <laughs> the friends of Teresita that the Chua's had told the detective about, they had asked them to come down and see if they could any identify any of the jewelry. And it just so happens that one of the, the guys that came down one of her friends, uh, they said none of the jewelry in the box matched her stuff, but that the ring that Teresita was... Um, Yanka. The ring that Yanka, Yanka was wearing. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, that Yanka was wearing. He recognized that as being one of Teresita's rings. And the pendant, probably. The jade. 
I don't remember them oh. saying anything about the jade, but the ring he did notice. And um, so anyway, so Showery's defense attorney, this is after they go in and, and they tell him all this, and he confesses. He just straight up confesses, hey, I did it. Here's what happened. I went to her house, and I was about to get kicked out of my apartment. I was broke. I needed the money. When she turned her back to me, I choked her. Chokes her down. Then he... But he didn't pawn the stuff for the money. No. He gave it to He only found $30 in her apartment. That was it. And that's what he said later. He found $30 in her apartment. And so he takes her in there and splays her out, takes her clothes off, makes it look like she's been assaulted. Mm -hmm. Then he stabs her in the middle of her chest. And what I didn't tell you, this was a butcher knife that she had been using to cut up vegetables earlier. It was in the kitchen and just laying there. He grabs it off the the island or, or counter or whatever. And when he stabbed her, he sent it all the way to the hilt into her chest. So he pinned her to the floor. Oh, my God. He took everything he had and drove it through her chest. And so, anyway, the, the prosecutor later said that, oh, well, you know, his confession was coerced. And they're going, dude, this guy's a, he's a criminal. We didn't coerce anything out of him. Well, yeah, but Chicago in the 70s, they weren't above tuning somebody up with a phone book. <laughs> well, I'm <laughs> Get sure. To tell the yeah. Truth, to but, and it may have been coerced, but anyway, but he did have the, the stolen goods. And, you know, so anyway, he confesses. Uh, goes to trial. Ends up getting a hung jury because they're saying that, well, this whole story about this woman being possessed by Teresita's ghost. Wait, they brought the prosecutor brought that into court. Yeah. So, or, mm, yes, yes, the prosecutor brought or it into the court. Defense did find that discovery. I, and I'm sure say, the defense brought. Oh, look at this crazy stuff they're trying right. to. And they're saying it doesn't matter how we got the information. We got the information, and he did it. And he had the jewelry. And he had the jewelry. There's physical evidence. We've got him, you know. Well, physical in that he owns, he had the property. Right. And um, so anyway, gets gets thrown out, has to do a retrial. Um, following several hours, hours of deliberation, jury sent a note to the judge on the afternoon of Friday, January 20th, stating that they were hopeless, hopelessly deadlocked, likely due to the complexity of the case and conflicting opinions. As a result, the judge dismissed the jury, and a new trial was scheduled for February 3rd. This hung jury number two. Mistrial number two, basically. Yeah. No, no, this is the first mistrial. One. Oh, it's the first. Okay, okay. Okay, so it's hung jury. So just a few days after the new trial date on the evening of February 1st, because remember now, on February 3rd, he goes back to trial. On February 1st, Alan Showery surprised everyone by calling his lawyer and requesting a meeting with the judge and the district attorney. The following day, in front of the judge and lawyers from both sides, Showery, against his attorney's advice, I would hope so, <laughs> pleaded guilty to the murder of Teresita Bassa. Well, hadn't he confessed before? He confessed, 
but he withdrew his he retracted his confession that's right okay now this guy got a mistrial he's fixing to go back for another trial and he says you know what i did it i did it i did it and i bet his attorney was so was it his conscience or was she haunting him telling him you know maybe that was it baby that's what I'm thinking. Did she just completely jack on it? Okay, so you really want to get pissed off? The judge says, okay. He says, You've, we're getting you for arson. We're getting you for... Robbery. Robbery. And we're giving you concurrent uh, terms of 14 to 40 years. Do they get him robbery and arson and murder? No murder. No murder. They got him for robbery and they got him for arson and he got out in four years. Four years? Four years he gets out. He admitted to the murder. Mm -hmm. He admitted to the murder. But they didn't get him for murder? They didn't get him for murder. They could have got him for anything they wanted to be at that point. Yeah. That's weird. They had him dead to rights. Because <clears throat> you know what would happen to him. I don't know about Illinois law, but I know what would have happened to him in Texas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, oh, yeah. <laughs> arson, murder, all that. And you're, robbery. You're, you're we got, getting, we you're got getting, express <laughs> executions here, you know? Well, they probably wouldn't have because he admitted. They would have they, given him life without possibility of parole. Yeah, because he admitted it. That would have been the other option, the alternative. So he gets death. four years. Four years. So he's out before, like... How does he get four years out of 14? Mm. Mm. Interesting. So four is there a happy years. ending where she pulls like a ring thing and comes to haunts and kills him? After I don't know. I would hope... Or he walks out in front of a train. She's like, <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't know what happened to him after that. A taxi cab. I couldn't find anything after that, but yeah, the um, yeah, sentence showery to concurrent terms of fourteen to forty years for armed robbery and arson charges. And he's got a kid out there somewhere because apparently Yanka Kamlu was pregnant when. Oh wow! When they uh, arrested him. Interestingly, he was not convicted on the murder itself. Despite pleading guilty, he served only the minimum four years of his sentence and was paroled in 1980. Well, you know, that's one of the most crooked towns, and no offense if anyone's in Chicago, but y'all know you know that crazy mayor with that's, the hair, governor with the hair, you know, kind of like I mean, New Orleans, you know. It's one of the most crooked towns in the country. Who knows? But anyway, so that's that's the craziness that I have on that story. So would would. So you're Teresita, you're her spirit. Mm-hmm. Why would you choose Remy? Remy, as opposed to just going straight to the source and haunting a detective spatula. I don't know. Maybe spatula. because <laughs> no one's named Bob Smith or Steve Jones in this story. No, there's no, no, there's nothing that easy. Um, I don't know. They were both from the Philippines. They were. Uh, right, like they, she spoke the language. Mm-hmm. I'm haunting the judge next. I don't know. Is it? It's a crazy it's, story. It really is. So, do you think? 
Kihana these people? That she. I mean, I, I think that I think that Remy was possessed by Teresita. I do. Yeah, that she told him who it was. I really do because it's, I mean, there's this is like one of the weirdest stories ever, you know. But because it it's not somebody getting possessed by a demon, you know. This is like a ghost possession well, where Whoopi Goldberg control, yeah. jumps into it's like a, somebody, you know. You know where this the medium starts talking in the yeah, like the little hats and stuff that they wear. What is that called? The Ephus hat? No. What? We talked about those things. Remember. The little thing that they put on their heads and they start talking. They start like saying words and things. When you're ghost hunting. Oh, oh, talk about where you blindfold yourself and the, you know. Like a, not, it's not Faraday. It's, um, I forget where you. Yeah, I can't remember off the top. It's head. a sempr- sensory deprivation Sen- yeah, type. Yeah, it's sensory thing. deprivation. Where they situation. put the the ping pong balls over the eyeballs mm-hmm. and the red light. Yeah, yeah, it was in that note. When we went to Witcha Doodle. Yeah, I don't remember the, the name of that particular But you, don't they talk? Yeah. But that way? No, they're just saying what they hear it is. So mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Whereas a medium, you'll see a medium's mediums completely speaking in the voice. Mediums allow the spirit to speak through them. They open themselves up to the actual yeah. Estes? possession. Estes method. Yeah, that's it's it. Estes, yeah. Um, I don't, that's the kind of trauma that would definitely create a ghost. Heck yeah. Especially because it was unsolved. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't unsolved. Well, but before she started haunting him, it was. Yep, before then it was. Also, why didn't they start looking for who A.S. was? Like, right. shouldn't have been that hard. I don't know that he was approached, but I don't really think that at that time he was considered a person of interest because they worked different shifts. They didn't really see each other, you know, so. Wait, I, I thought, so I thought Alan and her worked the same shift. That's why they were riding the train together. They didn't, okay, I'm sorry. But they didn't work the same that, department. I know that. Well, he was a respiratory tech. She was a respiratory therapist. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe get tickets for somebody doesn't exactly equate murdered, but I would still well, I don't be know. L- interviewing. Interesting that her notepad where she wrote that survived the fire. fire. Yeah, but the fire was pretty much isolated just to the the, the clothing and the mattress. That was the only fire. That's why the, so much smoke was generated because the right there was smoke, but there wasn't there wasn't a, a lot of fire. Dumb way to hide a crime. Makes you wonder why more people don't come back. It possessed people. I don't know. I, I would say the energy that that takes. Oh, I know. And she did it like two times, at I least. Mean, yeah, at least twice. We know. Usually but you know, the thing is, she was a, a very energetic person. Anyway, she's stupid, stupid smart. I mean, just super sharp, extremely talented, uh, musically. And it goes into, uh, I mean, you can read all of her history and everything, but um, she's extremely talented. And Cherupin, Cherupnin, 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 he said. It's missing a vowel in two spots. <laughs> it is. And he told her, he said, if you will buckle down and work at it, he said, you can be famous composer 
He said, so he, he felt like she was extremely talented as well. Before the world was able to discover the uh, Mahogany 5 plus 1, mm-hmm. her life was cut short by Alan Showery. It's really, it's a sad story because she, you know, she she suffered through a lot. And, and what you don't, what I didn't go into was the fact that um, Japan had um, had taken over before that and had subjugated, I guess. Oh, the, yeah, World War II. You're talking mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was... So these... They kicked our butts there first. They were, wil- they were wealthy people, and they basically, they were given an option because her dad was going to leave. He was going to leave the Philippines, and they, they said, no, stay, 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 and be part of this... I guess puppet government that we're going to set up here, mm. and so he agreed to it. Yeah, but MacArthur said that he will, shall return, and he did. Yeah, so but the point, my point is, that was she went through a lot of horrible stuff as a child there, and yeah. that was one of the reasons that she did not want to stay in the Philippines. Bad night. But that was yeah. It's a it's a crazy story, man. And I've never heard of somebody solving their own murder before. So well, I have seen things where um, people get stuff on uh, EVPs and stuff where they've ended up turning it into the police. Oh, really? I've seen. I wonder I, if anything's ever not, come of that. Not though. say any names. <laughs> All hail Zach. <laughs> but I have seen that where they ended up turning information over to the police. Well. Anyway, that's my that's my story about Teresita Bassin. That's all I got to say about that. And what's our take on the tequila? Oh, it's really good. It's really good. Yeah, it's re- that is really good tequila. Tequila. All right. Well, I'd drink it again. I yeah. I drink it again for sure. For sure, yeah. I wouldn't mix that with anything. No, yeah. no. Yeah. Sip it. <laughs> Sip it. Mm-hmm. Sip it like a man. Not folks. Or a woman. <laughs> Go see us in all the places. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Click pound that like button. <laughs> all right. Good night. Night. And she died a virgin. Oh. Uh.